Hello everyone and welcome back to the Spirituality and Magic Podcast. I'd like to talk today about symbolism and Hinduism. Now, for a lot of Hindus, we understand that the actual name of Hinduism is Sanatana Dharma, which means the eternal religion. And that Hinduism isn't the actual name, it was something that basically Arabic... um, uh, very Arabic influenced as far as when the Arabs came to India, it was something that they took up as calling this this area, these people, uh, Hindus. But in reality, the act, the uh, the more proper name for our tradition as a whole is Sanatan Dharma. So in Hinduism, we have many different gods, many different beings, and many different teachers, many different gurus. So. To break down symbolism for somebody like, someone like Kalima, um, which is my patron goddess first and foremost before any other god or patron, uh, the the form of god that I worship God through, uh, I worship the source through, she has what looks like a pitchfork. So it, it looks more like a trident. If you picture a trident for uh, Poseidon, you kind of know what that looks like. It has kind of a flared end on either side of the central uh, spike. Um, she ha- That's called a trishula, and she has this trishula. So this trishula, what it is, is very, very symbolic. So what it represents is a mastery of the three different natures that make up everything in the material world and beyond. So the three different natures that make up everything in nature are um, uh, tamas, which is... Um, darkness, torpor, lethargy, um, an unwillingness to work upward and uh, a tendency to be dragged down. Uh, We have uh, rajas, which is restlessness between um, torpor and tamas and sattva. Um, It's going consistently back and forth, trying to figure out how to satisfy desires, very much a desire-based energy, um, trying to figure out um, where it lies. Uh, some people might have a more tamasic energy. Some people might have more of a rajasic energy, and uh, and any combination therein. Now, the the last one of the three is sattva, and all of these are different gunas. Uh, they're you know tama tamaguna, uh, rajaguna, and sattva guna. So sattva guna is that is that part of ourself which wants to free ourselves from material desire. It is a, it is a emotional stability. It is a ship that brings us to the shore um, on the other side of nature that is above nature, reaching higher realms uh, than this material realm. It is not doing many things that would be uh, detrimental to our soul, but also doing things that would aid our soul. Virtue. So... When Kalima wields this uh, this trident, this um, this uh, trishula, uh, basically she is saying that I have control over the three different natures that make up everything in nature, uh, three different energies, if you will. So when it comes down to another aspect of Kalima. Let's talk about what she wears around her neck. So what she wears around her neck is this very long uh, necklace of heads. Um, 
Now, there's a couple different meanings to what she wears around her neck. So when it comes to the different heads, the basic meaning is that they're all demon heads of demons that she has decapitated. And the more metaphysical meaning is that she is the, the number of heads around her neck coincides with every letter in the Sanskrit alphabet, basically saying that she conquers language. She is not conquered by language. She fulfills um, her devotee's truest needs through the heart and not through logic of the mind. This is why different forms of Kalima sometimes are shown with her holding one of her holding her head beside herself after decapitating herself and holding it on the same level of her heart to show that she places the heart um, alongside logic in the head and the, the mental realm or above it. Um, there's often a lot of different pictures or uh, renditions of her images that have her holding the head below the heart area to signify this importance. Um, now, when Kalima is standing on Shiv, um, she places a foot on Shiv, and when you see that foot on Shiv, Shiv is is very like docile. He's very he's very calm. He's very not moving, and Kalima is placing a foot onto him. This is basically representing that Kalima is energy in this realm, and Shiv is material. But in the astral realm, Shiv is energy, and Kali and um, Shakti, uh, which is Kalima, basically, the energy of Kalima is uh, material. Um, it's kind of reversed in the astral realm. But when she places a foot on her husband, Shiv's chest, she also sticks out her tongue. And in India, this basically represents that she has gone too far, that she uh, feels bad about what she did, and she's sticking out her tongue to basically say, I've gone too far. Um, there's a lot of blood and gore associated with Kalima, but it's not... It's not the killing of human beings. It's the killing of desires. It's the killing of greed, of a tamaguna, of, of demons who are basically personify these different parts of a very materialistic nature that exists in this world and can drag us to lower realms. Uh, she is, <laughs> Kalima is very much a warrior, a mother, uh, a goddess of liberation both metaphysically and quite literally. Uh, but if we're going to go on to more symbolism in Hinduism, I'd like to kind of move on from Kalima. There's going to be plenty of time for me to talk about Kalima in the future. Um, so with Ganesh, her son with the elephant head, uh, he's often depicted as riding a rat. Now you have this big elephant uh, headed, um, you know, very round human bodied, uh, God riding a rat. Why? Why does it seem so comical? Why? Why would this be an image? Um, Ganesh is basically represents the positive use of the intellect. The intellect is very large, but it's also very light. Um, intellectual ability is, is very vast and very and very um, good at um, containing and understanding um, the vaster truths when it is honed. But it is also very light, so it can fit on a rat. And the rat also represents curiosity and cleverness. Um, so, <laughs> so this big elephant-headed, uh, quite round man riding a rat might at first seem very ridiculous. But if you think about it in symbolic terms, then it becomes less ridiculous. 
Um, Shiv. Let's move on to Shiv. So he's often depicted with this ring of fire around his body as he's dancing with four arms and two legs. Um, so this ring of fire around Shiv, it's, it's actually a ring of stars. He is this universal concept, this universal reality, the deconstructor. A lot of people think that he's a destroyer, but he's actually deconstructor of our illusions of Maya, which is illusion, um, which is, is what uh, plagues us here and divides us from the source God. Um, but he has this ring of fire that represents many different stars not only in this galaxy, but other galaxies and everything in this material realm, uh, but also the stars of other realms. And he's dancing in them, which means that he's in tune with the dance of, of I wouldn't say gravity, uh, but the dance of one, you know, planetary bodies and stars in relation to one another. Um, and he's, he's very much embodying that dance in this form. Um, so when we go to another Hindu example of symbolism, uh, we can look at, we can look at, um, <laughs> Gatokacha. So this is, uh, in the Mahabharata, which is the longest epic ever produced, um, in human history, uh, longest epic poem. Uh, Gatokacha is Bhima's son. Bhima is, uh, one of, uh, the, um, uh, Pandavas in the Mahabharata, one of the brothers of the side of good. He also represents the root chakra and the positive use of root chakra, ascending root chakra. Uh, but Gatokacha represents, his, he's his son and he helps defeat the, the side of material desire under Duryodhana. But Gatokacha, there we go, I said it. <laughs> he, um, he is very much a, a he's he, he's a demon he's a demon that fights on the side of good but when we analyze his symbols he has a vulture on his flag um his flag is uh, anointed with guts and blood and he is very powerful at night so if we're going to look at this demon even if it's on the side of good this one demon is on the side of good which demons are on both sides in this war in the Mahabharata. Um, we see that, you know, the vulture obviously represents um, eating of and consuming uh, the fallen enemies, um, basically saying, like, you're going to fall and then I'm going to eat you. Uh, I'm going to consume what you thought was your goal, but you obviously could not meet your goal. Um, blood and guts on this flag represents um the folly of ever trying to fight me and him being able to fight well at night represents that you know for a lot of people it's kali yuga and in this yuga it's very easy for demons to fight and be powerful uh, before you know we move on to other yugas but that's a whole nother that's a whole nother situation if I was going to bring another example of symbolism in Hinduism, I might talk about Krishna. He's always playing this flute, um, this flute in his hands, especially when he's, uh, uh, you know, playing with the gopis. So this flute is very much a source of harmony. It's a source of constancy. 
uh it's very it's very light but consistent in its rhythm and its in its tune and a lot of people that are a part of Hare Krishna or follow mainly Krishna um I would think that him playing his flute is very similar to devotees of him uh, chanting Hare Krishna. That's another piece of symbolism for you. Now, why do human beings need such extensive symbolism in all these different ways? Uh, and, you know, why do we need it to be part of statues? Why do, do we need to see these symbols, actually see them, and not just try to understand them in relation to different beings, different gods and goddesses? Um, human beings digest information very well when they can draw conclusions from what they see, uh, the symbols that they see, the uh, the significance that they hold in those symbols. If it was just, you know, if every god and goddess was just a paragraph and then you'd read that paragraph as far as what all the symbols represent and you didn't actually see it before yourself, before your very own eyes, then it, it wouldn't be as powerful. Um, there is something to be said for understanding and realization that can be achieved through visual cues that need not be thought about in word form. Um, this is something that has always been very effective for human beings and very much so even for those who don't understand the symbols. But there's a part of our subconscious that reads these various symbols and understands what the meaning is. And the people who understand this, the symbolism, uh, I would count myself as understanding symbolism on the few, uh, on the few different um, examples that I mentioned, um, it becomes even a higher level of experience. So information can be communicated um, without complete understanding and with complete understanding and everything in between. This uh, transference of information is very valuable. Um, it's it's something that is a language. It's a language of of statues and symbols. It's a language that we inherently know without knowing that we know. At any rate, before we continue on, let us take a break and uh, let's hear a word about uh, our sponsor here today. So, welcome back, and when it comes to Hinduism and symbolism, offerings to different spirits or gods is very important. So, what you give a spirit or god is indicative of how you're trying to pay that spirit or god or god homage and the connection you're trying to make. If you're going to connect with Ganesh, you might want to offer a banana. Um, his tree is the banana tree, and it's... I think that the banana tree is his tree because it can be used for a variety of purposes. Of course, we can get bananas from it. Um, the banana leaves can act as plates. And then the sticks from the banana tree can act as uh, toothpicks. So when we, when we think about this, the, multi, you know, the multiple uses of a banana tree and what it provides, it's making a comparison to the intellect and the different ways that it can provide for our experience um, if we were to hone it and if we were to make it strong. So the intellect might be able to discern the difference between right and wrong. Uh, the intellect might be able to strengthen our devotion when we're trying to understand something that 
um, is not easy to understand, then the intellect allows us to understand it. And it might make a good platform for the devotion that we give to a certain god or spirit or goddess. Uh, there's multiple uses for the intellect, so it makes sense that there's multiple uses for the banana tree. So every single offering that you give to a spirit or god is very much tied into uh, the multiple uses that it would have um, literally, but also met metaphorically. Uh, so when you offer milk to Krishna, you are basically saying that, you know, Krishna is often said to basically reside upon uh, this large serpent that's shaped like the Milky Way uh, uh, on a, upon an ocean of milk. Um, and this milk is realization, it's experience, it's, it's, it's the vast experience of being a part of the grander whole and the knowledge of it all at the same time. So uh, when you offer Krishna milk, you're basically saying that I'm adding to this, I'm adding to the ocean of milk. And I respect the ocean of milk that Krishna provides. Um, so you can also pour milk and water, or milk or water, one of the two, either way, and, and flower petals upon a shivalinga. So a shivalinga, it's, it's something that's very hard to describe. It's basically like a, a, a pillar that's, uh, that's kind of like flat on the bottom and then uh, kind of rounded at the top. And then there's this kind of elongated dish halfway up where you have, it's kind of like a dish that's round and, but bigger than the pillar. And then a little bit of a, of a, a protrusion forward. Um, it's supposed to represent the unification of uh, the male and female genitalia, but, uh, but mainly the male for most of the time. But um, it's, not re it's not representing sex per se. Um, it's basically hinting at um, the, fa the fact that we are reborn and also that um, the fertility of our births are in spirit the combination of the male and the, fem the female. Um, but these are not only just literal, the, these, are, these are symbols. Um, when we think of the uh, Shivalinga within ourselves, we're thinking of self-creation, self-acknowledgement, and not needing to be materialistically based, we can create ourselves um, through our efforts in consciousness and pure consciousness and consciousness that is beyond duality, which Shiva is and, and Kalima are very much um, the liberators from the duality that we experience in this world. And you'll find that when you offer food, when you pour water or flower petals or milk um, in the ways that Hindus do, you'll find there's this, there's this really interesting feeling of connection that you just don't have otherwise. It's almost like these basic actions are attributing to um, a deeper experience. But it's something you have to experience for yourself. You have to understand what these gods, goddesses, and spirits are, and you have to be willing to make a, a sincere effort to make a connection and you have to not be too um, demanding of God's spirits or goddesses, uh, but be willing to wait and have patience and really devote yourself before you expect anything from God's spirits or goddesses. And getting back to symbolism, 
every god, spirit, or goddess, they are seated within ourselves. They represent a part of ourselves, our a particular connection to the source that exists within all human beings. So if this is the case, then in a way, the connection is not without, it is within yourself, but there are external rituals that you can do to make that symbolism and actuality in your own spiritual experience. At any rate, um, I, I just want to thank everybody for listening to this. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to contact me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash hunter.salazar. And you can shoot me a message on Messenger. You can friend me, what have you. Just let me know if you want to contact me. Just let me know what's up. Um, of course, you can uh, find my YouTube channel at Hunter Salazar on YouTube. Just type in Hunter Salazar. You'll find my channel. At any rate, I thank you very much for listening to this and hope to see all of you on the channel in the future.